And here I come with the plugs. Those of you may notice that in the show notes this week, there are some links to YouTube videos, and those YouTube videos are happening only because of our fantastic Patreon supporters. Uh, we've been really overwhelmed with the support we've got on Patreon so far, so, so if you've got some spare loot and you feel like uh, giving us a little bit of extra support, we'd totally appreciate it. Um, and there's some really fun rewards tiers there. Some of the videos you can watch are actually decks designed by our Patreon supporters that they wanted to see what we thought of them. So you can get on there at patreon.com slash the winning agenda and lastly i just wanted to say that uh every now and then in this community we get a little reminder as to why it is we use our free time to do this podcast and make this other content and we had one of those little reminders this week when we got an email from noah who is from seattle he's only 16 and he's the youngest player in their meta there and he uh had some really lovely words to say to us and he wanted us to if nothing else send him an email back And we haven't sent him an email back yet, so we hope this little shout-out is uh, just as good. So, good on you, Noah. Get in there, play some games, win a big tournament, and come on and talk to us about it, buddy. Glad you're really enjoying the show, and thanks to everybody else who's listening. So, please enjoy this week's episode of The Winning Agenda. Good evening, and welcome to episode 58. Are we 58 already? 58 mm. um, Are you sure we're not 57? I'm pretty sure we're 58 Time will tell Yes uh, Welcome to episode 58 of the Winning Agenda Tonight our panellists include runner-up for both the 2014 Melbourne Regionals and the 2014 Australian Nationals Liam Prasad Hey bro, how we doing? I'm doing okay And the 2014 Australian National Champion and 2014 World's Top 16 competitor Jesse Marshall Hello And I'm your host Brian Holland And we've got a got an exciting Dextravaganza Almost. And we're going to start with my deck, because Jesse's playing someone on Jinteki.net and doesn't have time for me. Oh, Brian, come on. (laughs) That's that's right. Look, I'm just making sure that my deck tech is as good as it can be. I'm literally playing the deck as we speak. Oh, Oh, so you're getting all the information. So what you're saying, Jesse, is you haven't done your homework and you're quickly rushing out and you're desperately trying to like... This is like you've come to do a presentation in grade six and you're like, can I go last? Because I'm just trying to finish up. Look, I think there's video evidence of the fact that I have done my preparation (laughs) on our YouTube channel. Okay, yeah, well, uh, same same for me, actually. Uh, So (laughs) I've been uh, loving the shit out of Spark Agency. Uh, Some of our devotees may remember when I spoke about it uh, in our Corp highlight. In episode 56, I think it was. Really unexciting looking on paper because I originally thought it's like, oh, so what, you drain them when you're a pad campaigner or something and like how many good advertisements are there actually? But mm. it turns well, that out... Was th- that was what you thought. That was what I originally thought, but now... As and I said, then, to, to now employ, you think exactly that. Well, no, to, 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 to employ the Australian vernacular, it'd be like, yeah, nah, nah, it's good. <laughs> nah, it's real, yeah, good, mate. real good. Yeah, nah, it's good. Do you um, like it? I do. Yeah, it's all right. I'd go. Uh, yeah, nah. Yeah, I'd nah, kiss it on the mouth. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, nah, no. So for, as... for those that are confused, when you, when we say <laughs> yeah, nah, we're saying yes and no. There's no point of disagreement. Yes, we agree. No, there's no disagreement. So yeah, nah, actually does make sense. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Nah. But uh, right. yeah. All right. So so, <laughs> you, so you thought to yourself like, look, this ability yeah. is kind of boring. It looks completely then... boring. And then I was like, so I, I forget what I was doing. I think I was testing something else, and I was playing around with the data data and destiny cards. I'm like, look, I'll try and build a Spark deck. What does a Spark deck look like? I play lots of advertisements. What do I do out of NBN? I don't, couldn't be fucked trying to put a tag package together, so I'm just going to play a fast advanced shell. And I noticed very quickly, which is what I mentioned in episode 56, that uh, this is the first time we're really seeing uh, a card that is geared around exploiting the instant speed windows. And what we mean when we say that is, is uh, doing... Um, 
doing things... Abilities that don't take a click. Abilities that don't take a click, but I mean, we've already got that in terms of resin cards and things like that, but uh, that have, uh, that, that are impacting, that impact the game mm. more so. Like, I can, you can, obviously, you can, you've always been able to raise your pad campaign at any mm. point you want. Mm. But now, you can time it so there's things you can do. So, I mean, one of the, there's, there's a few things I want to cover. First of all, little things that you, it may not be immediately obvious. You can install and res an asset on your first turn, like a launch campaign or a pad campaign, or my favorite to do is product placement because it costs you nothing mm-hmm. and you're not fooling around, your product placement's going to be there. At the end of your first turn, so the runner starts on four credits. I'm actually thinking, oh, well, that's okay, but like then I challenge you to look at most of the hands that you really like when you open a hand as a runner and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, sweet, I've got a sure gamble here, <laughs> or I've got a professional contacts, or I've got things that I want to do with five credits because the game is designed around you having five credits to start the game with. And, and why product placement specifically? Why that over the other advertisements do you like having on turn one? Uh, well, because while the other advertisements uh, are still good, the, my least favorite one to do is pad campaign on turn one because it still costs you two and it can sometimes put you at a deficit in order to res the ice that you put out or something like that. Launch campaign also is quite good because as we've discussed, uh, it's one of a very few cards which give you a credit immediately. Except if you res it on their turn and then they trash it for two. In which exactly, case which, is, good, yeah. which is what I'm going to say. Obviously, it's yeah. not going to give you a turn. But even if they do do that, so you, you pay one to res it, they drain a click, they, they, they drain a credit, they run and trash it for two, they're down three credits to your one. Still not a deal that they trashed it, but that's still like a bleeding in the credit. And that's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Because the credit deficit uh, when you're playing this game becomes quite large, especially if you have this proliferation of advertisements. Uh, so why I like product placement is because uh, you res it for zero, it sits there in what will eventually be the foundations of your sand sand server, and your opponent's not going to run it. They're not going to. They're not incentivized to run it, even if they do for whatever reason. You're gaining two, and then if they want to trash it, there's another two. So there's the there's the, the the deficit. So it's just a great instant speed trick to have. So you can do that on turn one. The other thing you can do uh, because you start this credit deficit thing is at some point in every game that has ever been, uh, the runner is going to click for a credit, and if you are in your paid ability window. Between the click where they click for a credit and the following click, res an advertisement and drain that click, you have essentially eaten a click off them, which is very, very powerful. And I think what we're going to get into is a lot of um, what we call out-of-order sequencing fixes. Well, I was just going to say uh, something that Netrunner hasn't had a lot of before is that sort of counterplay that you can do between people's clicks. Whereas this sort of acts as a way of you, I mean, in... Magic the Gathering parlance, you would have counter spells or things that allow you to effectively negate wholly what your opponent's doing. Yeah. But what this can do is allow you to react not to them playing their cards, but to them getting the resources they need to play their cards, which is just as impactful a lot of the time. Yeah. So, like, as I was saying, like, I'm sure at some point um, everyone here has gone, uh, they said, for the rest of the uh, gain two hedge fund, pass turn. So you're not going to be able to do that anymore. You say gain two hedge fund, your opponent's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, well, between you gaining the second click and hedge fund, I'm going to res this and you're going to drain one, you can't play hedge fund anymore. So it's just going to be a teething problem, similar to what we had when Clot first came into the game with uh, instant speed Clot in. Um, I know I did a lot of things like, oh, I'll score an Astro out of hand. And people said, oh, well, actually, no, it'll, you'll install advance advance and then I'm going to pop and get the Clot out, mm-hmm. you know. And... That's yeah, and thankfully, like, out of all the sequencing is supported in the rules at the moment. Yeah, which yeah. is fine. So, I mean, that's the thing. You're just going to have to be wary of your opponent. If they have unresed assets, obviously ice, ice can be advertisements as well, but they're only going to be rose when you run there. And that's my next point, is that if you uh, install something like a pop-up window, um, or specifically in this list, uh, a special offer, 
uh, in front of something and your opponent has exactsies to get in and trash something or exactsies to get in, maybe steal an NAPD contract, or even if you've calculated it, you know the second piece of ice is an architect and they've got just enough to trash that as well. When you res your advertisement there, or even if it's not a piece of ice, could be something in another server somewhere to drain them a credit. They're still in the middle of the run and you're going to make the, the, the subroutines fire on the ice that you want, to, mm-hmm. want them to fire on. And there's just so many manipulative things you can do in there outside of your turn that don't cost you a click, and it doesn't really cost you anything in overall power. Like, the only card that you're playing in this deck, which I wouldn't really recommend playing in any other deck, is Product Placement, and that's because it does something when you res it as opposed to doing practically nothing unless the runner Mm -hmm. runs on it. And talk us through Product Placement as well, Brian, because that's one that you didn't have in your original build that you now really, really love, not only for those first-turn plays, Mm. but also for later in the game. How has it been panning out for you? So so what's really good about Product Placement is, uh, like, it's an upgrade, guys. (laughs) Upgrades are so good. Upgrades are really good. Upgrades are good. So it gives you this ability to uh, put it in a server with a sand sand. You can bluff it out as something else. Obviously, pulling through the bluff, that's one thing you can do. What I really like to do with my product placements over the course of the game is put them into what will be my scoring server. Even though this is a fast, advanced deck, you have to have a server which hosts your sand sand. So if you've got two, you know, even one or even two, if you've got three, you're going great. Product placements in the same server as a sand sand. When the opponent's running there because, like, swim, going to trash that sand sand, they're going to lose five to the sand sand. You're going to gain, you know, between two and six credits which is plenty to res the second sand sand, which you have in your deck or maybe on the field somewhere. And then if they also trash all those product placements because they don't want that to happen again, then there's a huge credit deficit there. And what makes this fast advanced build, I don't want to say superior, but different, different. to the near Earth hub traditional fast advanced builds is that you don't get into that situation, which I know, well, I mean, you still can, but most of the time, if your game plan goes correctly, you won't get into that situation, which a lot of fast advanced decks do, which is when you're on about five points, and you're sort of just neck and neck with the runner because the runner's got their rig together at this point, and you're like, sweet, I can score this through my biotic labor or through my sand sand, which I have to res, but I just need the credits for it because I'm poor, right? Because I've spent all my money like going going down to zero to biotic labor out or to res a sand sand score something out. But because you keep that credits deficit going correctly uh, through your product placements, through your assets, which are most is what Jesse Marshall would say, must trash assets, you stay ahead on the in the credit game, and it allows you to keep that sand sand up longer, keep things protected longer because you're draining your opponent's credits, their rig is coming together slower. So those quandaries, those wraparounds, all this gear checking ice, they are live for longer. And what you're essentially doing most of the time is extending the early, the extending the early game, which is where the aggro decks, as we always talk about, uh, flourish. They want to be in the early game, they want to extend the early game, and by doing this, it allows you to do it, and I'm just having a lot of fun with it, and um, as a constant, seems to stop winning with it. Yeah. So, yeah. like, Shieldsy, I had some games with you for the first time against it, uh, against uh, tonight, uh, this afternoon, so, like, what did you think when you were playing it? Yeah. Oh, it was fine. Yeah, I, I've yeah. been testing, like, a very similar build. Um, I think it was a bit more mid-rangey. Quite a lot. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team sponsorship um, and stuff, right? We've made very different selections of nights, for sure. And you are playing eyes- pop-up window. I'm, I'm going to cop a lot of like the internet for not playing pop-up. I'm, I'm playing pop-up, but you're not. Yeah. But I'm playing Little Engine, but you're not. Yeah. Because to me, Little Engine is like, it's fantastic. It's got seven strength. They need a large credit pool to break it. And that's can, exactly can I buy situation. a Little Engine? Is someone trying to make me buy it? Huh? Is it an advertisement? <laughs> no, I <know. laughs> Yeah, I know. But... Well, oh, maybe. Yeah, like, maybe, yeah. There, there have been many, many books written about it for sure. I think there was even a, <laughs> I think there was even a, a short feature film. This is it. Like, you've gone a very aggressive route using like light gear checking ice in like combination of the two or three iced s- scoring server and then using the credits to slow down the rig development whereas i've gone the other way and said well i'm gonna slow down the rig development on one hand but i'm also going to keep their credits low so that when i raise a gigantic piece mm-hmm. of ice they're probably not going to be able to break it and like little engine is 
really well suited for that because it's like the ceiling on the ceiling on like early game plays. Nobody can really break that without getting mm-hmm. to a late game position, yeah, uh, which it... is actually really different because in our NBN testing so far, almost every other time I've gone more aggressive and you've gone more. Aggressive. I know, right? Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The biggest difference there is that I still want to keep the ceiling on the ice res cost, even though I could probably afford to go higher because of the credit deficit, but then obviously it wouldn't be as big a deficit if yeah. ice costs yeah. more. So, so I don't want to go above four. The biggest piece of ice I've got in the deck is Architect, which fires often yeah. and loudly. Yeah. And being able to, because you've got so many assets that are in the bin as well, obviously um, churned out Adonis campaigns or launch campaigns, trashed pad campaigns, trashed product placements that you can just recur with that. You've always got something on the go for it. And um, I also owe a, uh, not really an apology, but uh, a nod to uh, panelist Hollis Echo, who is in Minnesota at the time of this recording, and we hope he's doing really well. Hopefully my foot isn't retroactively in my mouth when I say that, but because I'm seriously considering cutting hedge funds in this list, because obviously hedge funds are great to have, but there's a lot of games where I don't see it, or when I do see it, I'm like, I don't need this, this could be literally Mm. anything. And if I cut those three hedge funds, that could be those three pop-up windows Mm. that we're talking about. I don't know, I'm going to test it out. Often over the course of a game, they'll generate like similar amounts of economy. Yeah, and like special offer is great, as Hollis was saying, it's really good, especially good in this list because you resin the drain someone, and you gain five, and then you raise your your architect behind How are you using that credit deficit to win? How am I using it to win? Yeah, are you resing sand sands? Or? I'm, well, I'm, I'm resing sand sands, and when the sand sands are trashed, ah. I'm not at a crippling disadvantage to res my next one, whereas yeah, my fair. opponent is, and they're already behind because they've resed the sand sands. They've been bleeding credits, and if my game plan's gone correctly, when they trash that sand sand, I also gained a bunch of credits because they access like a bunch of product keep, placements. Keep going. I just yeah. keep going. Cool. And like, it's the only fast advance piece I'm playing is sand sand city grid. Um, and just quickly on this. I am never going below three fast tracks in a fa- in an aggressive fast advance deck ever again. I will stop playing three fast tracks when people stop passing turn with me having a res sand sand and an astro counter. Yeah. <laughs> because as soon as that stops, then I'll, okay, maybe I don't need three of them anymore. But mm. I've just won so many games because of having fast tracks. So I'm not sure how you feel about fast track these days, Jesse. I know you played Nearest Hub for a period in the meta when I wasn't playing it. I'm not sure if you still had it in your deck. How have you found the card? I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's still good? Yeah, I mean, it's... Which, what's the right number for you? One, two? I play three. Yeah? Um, yeah, I just think it opens up so many plays. It, I find sometimes with NEH decks, you can get to that point um, in the later game where you can't score out of a remote, and if they're playing Kate, they're set up with a clot, all of that. The fast track stops you from getting to that point. So if you can fast track early for Astros put things behind one ice you know obviously you judge it based on the game situation but the, it opens up so many avenues for you to score that astro and then the, for the second one you know uh, for the play after you score your first one right the the reaction from the runner is almost always try and flush out hq try and check the top card of r&d stop you from getting another astro at all costs and if you've got a fast track and a bit of cash then you're just pretty much guaranteed to mm. score the next one. It as allows well. you, as Shilzy was saying, you know, it allows you to respond whenever the runner gives you a window. Basically, yeah. 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 And you can just keep the train going, mm. and you're making sure that you're accessing not just any agenda, but the astro from your deck, which is what mm. you need. And we have another card that lets you do that now as well, which I've been really, really enjoying. Uh, team sponsorship, in combination with. In combination with Lily Lockwell. Lily Lockwell. Lockwell. Oh yeah. my god, I love and, Lily Lockwell. And the tech is yeah. to res Lily. Yeah and then overwrite her with your agenda as you score it, and then fire team sponsorship and bring her back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bonkers. It's so good. Yeah, that is good. And yeah. then if they pass turn, you're like, cool, I'll untap, I'll draw my card, I'll draw three, buy the score again. Yeah, it, no, that's it, good. It feels fantastic. Yeah. Um, the change just never slows down. 
There are lots of good ways to keep up pressure with Fast Track and uh, Lily and team sponsorship and Sansan yeah. at present time. Like NBA Index have always been really, really well positioned, but I think like right now, thanks to D and D and thanks to some of the later cards yeah. in the Sansan cycle, there are actually so many different ways to build yellow decks at the moment. Yeah. It's actually just which is good. Broken, I think the, completely the, shattered my the only, of like what yellow decks do. There the are only, like six different kinds now. The only two cards I'm playing from Dota Destiny, besides the identity, of course, are Special Offer, which is really good, and I think is also good in other decks. Hmm. And the best card in the entire box, in my opinion, Launch, launch Campaign. campaign. <laughs> oh my god, Jesse, have you been playing with Launch Campaign? Uh, I haven't. Um, haven't. I haven't been playing it in my NEH list. Uh, I think it gives a lot of reach to a lot of different lists it gives blue sun a neutral way of having a click for two credits essentially by you know having that in remote and bouncing yeah. in return yeah i mean it's good to have that sort of effect in neutral but i haven't been using it in nbn mm. that's no yeah it's, yeah it's it's a, it's a good card um anyway yeah i'm having a lot of fun with this deck uh it feels very powerful it feels good i implore everyone to uh play it if for no other reason than to get that groan on your opponent's face in one of two scenarios one when they say uh, if you're playing online, they're like, "Oh, I think there's a bug. I only, uh, I'm only on four credits. <laughs> What's going on?" <laughs> you know? Or uh, the second time, which is what we were talking about earlier, when they go, "Oh, click, click, hedge fund," you're like, oh, "Hold on, <laughs> I'm going to res something in my window here, and you can't do that anymore. I'm just eating. I'm eating your clicks." Mm-hmm. And that just takes that takes that ability of bleeding them a credit to a whole new level when you're actually just bleeding them two resources. Like a, losing a click is crazy. It's crazy good. Anyway. Please play Spark. Spark is great. Um, there'll be some videos up on the YouTube channel by now probably of me piloting this list. You should go check them out. Uh, so, Jesse, how are you going uh, in that other window? Have you finished your homework? Um, I'm about to cast Apocalypse. i uh, play Apocalypse, I should yeah, say. So, um, are you going to win after you play Apocalypse? Uh, my opponent is on six points with an Astro Counter and I'm on five points. It's almost, I think you could probably uh, concede. Well, I mean, let's see. I, I, I get three runs this turn. <laughs> I'll be done in like a minute, sorry. Jesse's just going to put us on hold for a second. I'm going to win. Yes, I just want oh, to win. Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> that, 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 that's my favorite. When you win on the way to scoring your apocalypse. I think in Brian, in our game, we actually like scored five points on the way to playing our apocalypse. Yeah, that's game. right. Yeah. yeah. So you just won with it. Yeah, so uh, this deck that I just won a game with. So uh, this Apex list has gone through a few changes. Initially, I had a couple of data suckers in the deck to complement the Mimic, Crypsis, and Endless Hunger Breaker Suite. And obviously the uh, 12 Advancement Counter uh, Ice Wall or whatever. You can't, you can't break with your endless hunger. Yes, yeah. Obviously also, yeah, to counter, counter the ice wall or the firewall that just goes really big. Um, n- please, nobody do that against me. I'll be really upset if you do. <laughs> um, I really like because we built it. Yeah, I know, right? I think yeah. it's great. Yeah, the old hard counter for Apex because we built it. <laughs> that we need, um, like, God, we needed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Resurrect. I'll try and, like, breathe some life back into that Frankensteinian because we built it. Trick of the light deck. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, the deck relies on an event economy engine because you are limited in the resources that you can play because of Apex's natural restriction, which is that you cannot install non-virtual resources. Of course, you can include them in your deck if you wish, but you cannot install them, so there's not much point. Uh, so the event economy suite is Lucky Find, Sure Gamble, and Dirty Laundry, plus prepaid voice pad, which gets you the extra value. I don't think we need to talk much about that as an economy suite. It's been well covered. Uh, but then beyond that, you've also got the event draw suite as well. So three quality times. And I've now got an express delivery at, just for my last point of influence because it's a one 
influence essentially draw card, but it's card um, selection rather than card advantage. Uh, but it allows you to dig for the pieces that you need. So the, this deck and Apex in general is quite sort of combo-y in a sense because you're trying to put together... On a scale of one to bag by a combo, how combo-y would you say? Uh, probably like three. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you don't need your... I developed a measure for this. Okay. Yeah, yeah so you don't need your combos... Somewhere. In order for your deck to function, you sort of need an endless hunger in order for your deck to function. Um, but quality time helps you to find that uh, reasonably quickly most of the time. Uh, but if you can have uh, one or two wastelands in play, plus your endless hunger, and then use your hunting grounds to get you extra fuel for your endless hunger, that can turn into quite a decent uh, credit as well as face down card engine. So your hunting grounds are giving you the face down cards. Your endless hunger is using them. So on your opponent's turn, you can sack your hunting grounds, gain your credits from wasteland. Then on your turn, you can be sacking cards to endless hunger to gain credits from wasteland again. So you're doubling up because wasteland can trigger each turn, which is your turn and your opponent's turn. Um, So that's a decent economy engine. Plus you've got heartbeat as well, which I am sort of stoked about as a card. It's exceeded all expectations yeah Yeah, like being able to prevent brain damage net damage and meat damage just shuts down so many strategies and when you're already shutting down end the run strategies with your endless hunger it leaves a very narrow band of things that can really interfere with you in a meaningful way not to say that those things aren't powerful but you're playing class groups as well it's narrow no i'm not um i'm relying on heartbeat because uh, heartbeat can trash itself it can trash your endless hunger it can trash any of your other installed cards as well as your face down cards to prevent the damage and getting your board completely wiped is obviously not great but for an opponent often the investment they have to make in trying to kill you like sea sauce double scorching you for example is going to cripple them economically as well so if they're not actually killing you it's not too big a problem if you lose a couple of cards from your rig as well as your face down cards so i find that heartbeat is pretty much a hard counter in that people aren't going corps aren't going to make that investment in doing all the damage if it's not actually going to end the game most um and then i mean of course most of the time heartbeat also prevents them from being able to end the game at all simply by using your face down cards because you accrue those pretty quickly have you tested against pe i have yeah i played quite a lot of games against pe and it is difficult. Um, when I was... It is, I was going to say, just from what we were saying, that it sounds like maybe your ability can just neutralize what's going on. It does. The proliferate. At the same time, they almost play zero in the runs, right? Sure. Runs yeah. So your, your Endless Hunger is not very useful. You need to find your Mimic and you... Um, mimic or Crypsis. And getting through Ice is quite um, economy heavy. It, it just sort of slows you down. Like, you're not that much quicker because you still need your combo to come together because you need fuel for your heartbeat. You need to find your heartbeat in the first place. It's just like your heartbeat becomes your endless hunger in that matchup because it's the key card that you need to be able to neutralize their threats. Um, but th- when I tested quite a bit against PE, there seemed to be this period of about 48 hours where 95% of my matches on Jinteki.network against PE, I don't know what was going on. I had chop bots in the deck at that point. I was using those as sort of part of the draw engine. And I do like Chopbot because it gives you the consistency of Wasteland triggers and it also allows you to find the pieces that you need. Uh, But it does chew through your face down cards and your deck. So in most games where I had a Chopbot early, even if it wasn't against PE, I was getting to the end of my deck by the mid game and that doesn't feel great. Whereas without Chopbot and relying more on other draw, um, I'm finding that I don't cycle through the deck as quickly. So I guess what I'm saying about those PE matches is because I had Chopbot, I was getting to the end of my deck more quickly. I did win 
quite a few of those games, except a couple where I face-planted a Mushin June bug on turn one or two. Turn one or two? Yeah, look, I mean, when someone goes... Check what it was. When someone goes Mushin advance and you're, like, playing online, (laughs) you're sort of like, fuck it, right? Like, (laughs) I'm going to feel so much shitter if you, like, score a five for three than if I check this and die. Yeah, if if you have to die and then look up into the eyes of another human being after that happens, yeah, it's not as nice as just... No, and, like, pack up your cards and take (laughs) your tokens away under your (laughs) arm and you're like, fuck... But um, yeah, when it's just online, just and you can just that. say, "GG, like you got me." Of game. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that that's my PE story. It is, it is good against it, but um, you should just leave them all so that they can get you with an uh, mm. an offer you can't refuse. Yes. Um. So yeah. Sorry. Back back to the deck. I guess the the other cards in it. E three feedback implants is really really good. It allows you to deal with a lot of ice archer, most of the bioroids that end the run, as well as having other nasty subroutines. Even bioroids that don't have end the runs, like Itchy, as long as you've got a click, you can obviously click to break one and then E3 the rest, which makes HB decks a reasonably good matchup. Obviously, Architect out of, generally you'll see it out of HB and um, NBN, is a real downer for this deck, partly because it can't be trashed with either Prey or Apocalypse, um, and partly because you've only got one efficient way to break it in Mimic. So how do you win? You just build up to the Apocalypse and... Are you playing multi-actors? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so there's the other part of the event suite. There's 23 events in the deck out of 45 cards. Um, and other than the economy and the card draw, uh, you've got three prey, which I don't really like, um, and I'm going to probably replace at some point. I just find I it so... You. I told you during the card highlight. I thought the card was rubbish. Well, I did And too. you all came down on me like a ton of no, bricks. No, no, hey, oh, I, I didn't have it in my one. deck. And then... Um, I thought I'd try it out because uh, a few people on uh, were commenting on my deck list, which it was great to have so much engagement. Thanks, everyone, who uh, had a read and commented on the deck list I posted on NetrunnerDB. Uh, and a few people were saying, try out Prey. I've liked it. I thought, well, you know, it's in faction. I'll see how it goes. I haven't really liked it. I don't think it's very good against a lot of things. And It'd just be much like better I thought, if it did synergize with Data Sucker, right? It would, it would obviously be better if it That would be amazing if it synergized with Data yeah. Sucker like we sort of thought it did at the, at the time. Yeah. Um, but... It just choose the ice that you want to get rid of. Most of the time, choose through too much, too many of your face down cards um, to actually kill it with prey. Whereas ice like Quandry and Pop Up Window, I mean, yeah, it's nice to kill them, but it's also not that big a deal for yeah. them to be there because endless hunger That's deals right. with it so easily anyway. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah. with like, Quandry, it might not be yeah. it might be more well suited to like. A list that does just want to dedicatedly hammer one server over and over. Mm. Um, like if we're playing Apex with Lamprey, for example. Possibly, but I mean, as I said, the um, the cards that are hardest for this deck to deal with are sort of Assassin, Architect. Assassin, Architect, and like Archangel. So like high strength cards that do things other than end the run. Uh, I suppose it's where your uh, mimic and stuff comes in, right? Yeah, um, Prey doesn't really help. Doesn't help at all with Architect. Um, it doesn't really help that much with the other cards just because it's so clunky to get to that point where you um, have your Krupsis in play, charged, and you've got enough money and you've got the prey in hand. That just happens so infrequently. I mean, like, would it not be worth maybe letting it fire once? Or, or like, if it's an arch- Archangel, don't you can it, probably... Don't, let, don't it. let it fire. Are you talking about Architect or Archangel? Oh, we're talking about Architect or Archangel? Both. Actually. Well, I mean, it does nothing against Architect. So yeah, it's yeah. Sort of, so, yeah. so let's suppose we're talking about Archangel. Like, you can still... You still have, like, great like uh event economy and you still have consistent flow with wasteland like you could still find a trace right yeah um, it is good against archangel i think it's less good against something like assassin yeah for um, sure. so yeah i mean archangel is one thing where uh, one card where prey is probably really really good because you can't afford to cop it once as long as you're getting rid of it forever but then 
the difficulty, I guess, is that you can't really play it until it's resed, at which point you've probably already copped it once. Copped it once, So yeah. you're going to be copying it again. So at that, and that point, it yeah. sort of sucks. I thought that was, the, that was the thing about the silverware as well, right? Like, you can't play events during the portion mm-hmm. of a run, which is the big difference between it and Parasite. Like, the fact Absolutely. that you can choose of a Parasite during a run, during a run yeah. is just what puts that card over the top. Like, playing Parasite without a means to either shoot or yeah. or power, up, up, power, down the, uh, power down the strength immediately... Yeah. Yeah, it, like nobody plays Parasite onto onto an onboard ice and just lets it tick up. Like, hmm. well, I mean, some uh, people do, some but people it's do that, not yeah, an optimal no. way to do it, especially if that's no, the only way you could do it. Yeah. So yeah, Prey uh, is one that I'm not loving, um, but and will probably be replaced uh, probably with Harbingers. One of the main reasons I took Harbingers out of the deck is that they do not work on Jinteki.net. Uh, oh, it's just okay. straight up better than Prey. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that'll yeah, be a swap. Be I thought you were going to be complaining that you were never going to find 45 cards. Not that you're left with like these 56 and not sure whether to use like the infaction <laughs> cards or whatever. Yeah. That was Adam I think we were talking about. Yeah, it was yeah, Adam. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then you've got the multi-access cards, as you guys mentioned. So two Legworks and three Maker's Eye. Two, so you're not playing up- the hardware? No, so it soaks up quite a bit of influence, but you get the synergy off your prepaids to be able to play those. Oh, yes. Um, and they're also you know, in, more impactful than the hardware with less upfront investment. So the economy of the deck is quite thin, and I don't think it can realistically support paying four for multiple interfaces. Yeah, I agree. Because you do have to pay two for your wastelands, two for each of your hunting grounds. They do pay themselves off, but over time. And I think legwork and the maker's eye allow you to hit them hard in the period of the game when this deck is best, which is when they've got a few ice rest on each server and not heaps. Because if you wait too long, then they're going to be able to dig for their ice that counters you. And Can I ask you a question, Jesse? Yep. How would you feel if you're like um, about to like make his eye? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're on five points, your points on six, you're about to go into the maker's eye. Yep. You don't have any credits. Yep. So you have to click for two credits and then... In between your second click and your third one, I res a, a product placement and you lose your click and you and you can't do it. How would you feel? Would you describe that as a fair situation? I don't think that would happen because I would have two prepaids out. So uh, no, no, them. no. They're all face down because you apocalypsed me earlier. Oh, okay. Um, that <laughs> would then, be But the architect didn't unfair. go anywhere, so you walked into it and then I got my product placement back and now I've resed it. That's okay. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm see. trying to say we yeah. should play again soon. I yeah, can, we should. I, I can see the game happening right now. That was, <laughs> that was vivid. Thank yeah. you, Bigby. Yeah. You should be a writer. Yeah, I the other, um, I think the only other card I haven't mentioned is Dyson Memchip. Again, this is a card that's sort of been underperforming a little bit for me and it may come out. It's useful in a couple of situations. One is against Caduceus because that is an ice that is a bit of a pain for the deck. Until Again, until you find your Mimic. It gives you the link, which pretty much, if you've got two of them out, it pretty much hard counters Caduceus. If you've got one of them out, it really helps. And it gives you the memory so that you can host Kroops' Endless Hunger and Mimic, though that doesn't come up all that often. I'm not really sure that I've done that at all in all of my testing. So, how, yeah. how have you found Apex in your testing? Is it similar thoughts to Jesse's? Or do you, um, do you, we've, been a bit play, different? we've been playing really different lists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least, he, uh, at least uh, Apex is, seems yeah, uh, uh, flexible. I mean, You're I mean, not yeah, geared towards yeah. one direction like you seem to be with Adam or uh, Sunny. Yeah, so far my testing Apex has been slightly more flexible than the other two. My, way, my, my approach so far has been to kind of just ignore his ability and say... It's uh, ability. Not, sorry. It's right. ability, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry. Uh, so it's my approach kind of so far is just to to ignore uh, the resource ability and just use the face down ability mm-hmm. and the way I ignore the resource ability is by carrying tags like, oh, okay. if I'm just going to build a deck that's going to go tag me anyway I'm just going to 
yeah. never install a resource that isn't virtual that they can't trash straight away yeah. like uh like a hunting ground jesse i noticed when we played the other day that uh you you didn't trigger your id ability every turn it was that because you only do it when it's optimal do you feel like you're ob- obliged to I, as i said when i first looked at the card i think that people are going to feel like every turn they'll be like oh all five of these cards in my hand are good i don't want to put any one of them down but i kind of have to right and oh no yeah I, I use it very rarely you accrue enough face down cards most of the time from your hunting grounds you don't actually break that many subroutines most of the time with endless hunger like you might you might break 10 in the game you're more uh, inclined to do it if you're playing like a like a wayland or a jinteki build which might have damage threat. yeah so if there's a damage threat then i'll do it and most often most of the time in those sorts of matchups there'll be more cards in your deck in your hand that are a bit more redundant um, the danger with this deck, it, you know, you don't have recursion. So if you're playing lots of things face down, they're gone forever once you do. So the ability becomes more relevant in the late game once you've got more redundancy in your hand because you've got more things on the board. So once you've already got a heartbeat out, your dice and mem chips are mostly useless. So you can start putting those face down. And you're, they're obviously the rest of your heartbeats as well, unless you're planning on apocalypsing. So there's, there's, there's a bit of tension there also, I'll mention, between apocalypse and your ability because you don't want to overcommit with things and assume that things are redundant just because you've got a copy in play because you may want to apocalypse later. So you need to be aware of that. There's no influence in your list for uh, a levy AR access, which is traditionally quite at home in prepaid lists and basically nowhere else. Yeah, I always go back and forth on levy. Um, I usually include it in these sorts of builds when I'm at the drawing board stage. Um, and I did with this one as well. In my first iteration, I had it in there, played a few games with it and just felt that I was never really running through my deck to the extent that I would need it. Um, yes, it gives you a bit more redundancy and it gives you more flexibility in what you're playing face down. But I think really rarely are you under a low enough amount of pressure that you can really afford to levy just to give yourself that additional flexibility in the earlier game to put more things face down. So yeah, I don't... It, it shuffles back in your events and that is one useful thing, but there's been so few matches... Um, where I've actually got to the end of my deck and felt like I was really struggling that I've, I don't think it's worth cutting other things. Like you can get an extra copy of the maker's eye and say your express delivery for the same influence as Levy. And I feel like that's just a better way to go. So maybe, I guess like, um, you are playing two apocalypses though, right? Not three. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not using prey that often and not playing cards down very often you're probably not going to be spending those cards too quickly mm. yeah whereas in like um a tag me builder against dedicated damage builds you might end up needing that levy just because you do actually want to uh play cards basically face down every single turn uh either just to, to feed your endless hunger very very early or to feed your heartbeat from damage um be it like because if you go tag me you do need to be wary of triple scorch or double scorch traffic so yeah, yeah. i mean that's at least what i've been finding in my testing it, it's good that you found a build that actually doesn't suffer from the kind of the inbuilt drawbacks of Apex. Yeah, yeah. which is good. Playing in, the, uh, playing it in a more very safe way. And if uh, any of our listeners want to try out these lists, you can find them as always in the show notes. And also, Jesse, you've done a YouTube series on this, haven't you? I have, yep. And okay, you cool. can find the deck list on NetrunnerDB. Yeah, so well. the links to um, both the deck list for myself and Jesse's list, as well as a little YouTube video series. 
uh, for each deck as well, also in the show notes. And a big shout out to our Patreon supporters for making that portion of the content happen, guys. So mm-hmm. big, 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 big hands. Uh, so if you want to try out those lists, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You can check them out on NetrunDB, as we said. Or you can always just shoot us an email at winningagenda.gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at winningagenda or like our Facebook page and write whatever you want on it. Uh, the Winning Agenda is the Facebook page name. So uh, until next week, guys. Um, hope everything's been great. Next week will be our world's uh, wrap-up with uh, with at least Hollis Echo. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully he will be resting on his laurels. I don't know. <laughs> if, if not resting for real. If not resting for real. He's a, he's a, top, he's a top egg. Mm-hmm. All right, we, we wish him all the best of luck uh, retroactively. Yeah, this, and a retrospective, yeah. all the best of luck and congratulations to everyone who's at Worlds or mm-hmm. who has been at Worlds. Oh, this time thing is very confusing. But it is. <laughs> good luck to all of you and well done to all of you. And I hope you have slash had a good time. Excellent. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, we'll see you next Monday, as always. Catch you. See ya. Easy. See ya.